0: I was doing a little bit of practice in the car on the way here, thinking like, what if I break out into song accidentally partway through? Do Do it. I cannot.
1: Welcome to Psycho Cinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of which we record this podcast today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this place and acknowledge that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We respect all Elders and ancestors and any First Nations people listening here today. So I have with me today a very special guest of the podcast, my wife,
0: (laughs) Dr. Elise McGlashan. Yes. Welcome to the podcast, Elise. Thank you, Steph. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's about time after all this time with your husband on the show <laughs> that I invite my wife on. Exactly. <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about your background and your, just yourself? Yes, absolutely. I was thinking about on my way here how I can make myself qualified or sound qualified <laughs> to be here. Um, um, you are a doctor. I am technically a doctor, Um, depending on who you ask, a real or a fake doctor. I'm not (laughs) sure, Um, but I have a background in psychology, so I did a Bachelor of Psychology um, and did my Honours in Psychology as well, and then I did a PhD in Psychology, so I am technically a doctor. That's a very doc- very technical <laughs> doctor. Yes, officially. Um, so my background is really in the area of sleep and circadian rhythms or the body clock, but really how those things relate to different mental health conditions. So in particular, depression and bipolar disorder has been my focus so far. And also looking at how antidepressants affect our sleep and our body clock as well.
1: So if anyone has any sleep questions, if you're listening to the podcast, Elise, like she answers all my sleep questions all the time, <laughs> so it's really good having a wife who understands sleep. Yes, um, one and of the three pillars of health, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because we're not doing a, a movie or a TV show about sleep today, but I know we will eventually. It's just um, hard to find something
0: that's specifically about that realm. I think so. It's a, it's a. I think it's a tricky one, I suppose, with with our kind of lens, because a lot of the time when sleep issues are covered in media. Because sleep problems are something that are so common that are experienced by everyone, um, you know, to different degrees. Of course, there are pathologies as well, but it's also a very common part of everyday life that they sort of might show up in smaller ways throughout media. But there's maybe not so much where it's sort of the central focus. Yeah, Hmm.
1: I can think of the signs of sleep. Mm. But that's—I don't remember that movie, so I'll have to go back and watch
0: it. Yeah, probably not a good sign if you can't.
1: remember. <laughs> <laughs> can we follow you on Twitter? Is the next
0: question. We can. Okay. Follow me on Twitter. I'll put your creds I say on. collectively. I don't follow myself on Twitter, though I would if I could. I would too. Yes, <laughs> it's just—it's just at Elise Mcglashan, so it's just my name. Yes, nice and easy to find.
1: And you're doing lots of research as we speak, like right now. I can mm. see in this room you're doing research in this right room.
0: Now. Precisely, I do actually have a research subject behind me, Um, really had to make this fit in my schedule. (laughs) It's actually true. (laughs) Um, A a little, no, I am doing lots of research at the moment. So at the moment I am studying um, the effects of antidepressants on the way that our body responds to light. Um, So light has lots of important effects on our mood and of course on our sleep as well. Um, And my work so far has shown that uh, antidepressants such as SSRIs, so the most common ones, tend to increase the effect of light on our bodies and that that may be um, beneficial for treatment for some people and on the other hand may actually be um, some of the reasons that they don't work for lots of people. That's really interesting, <laughs> but I'll link some of the papers in the show
1: notes as well, so everyone can have a read.
0: Maybe we can link my Google Scholar or something in the show notes. Yes what that's a very a good idea. fun one! Because
1: <laughs> your work has been reported, and you've you've been on
0: the news and yes, been on the been radio very, a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I can probably actually that's a better idea. I can give you some links to some news articles. Or I did have an article published about one of my papers on um, IFL science.
1: I fucking love. I fucking love science. <laughs>
0: A few months ago, which was a life achievement that I didn't know I needed, but turns out I absolutely did and I was very stoked about it. You know you've made it when you're in, uh, I fucking love science.
1: What we're doing today, I've been wanting you to be on the podcast to talk about this with me for some time now, possibly years, <laughs>
0: now <that laughs> I think about it. Honestly, I think we discussed this before you started <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're here. So it's been a while. Um, my apologies for that. No, it's not your fault. It's life. It's the COVID. It's the world. Everything. And yeah. I do have another apology to make to you, Steph, actually. I didn't tell you about this, but well. you did a little poll today um, <laughs> rela- relating to, uh, you know, uh, how people feel about musicals. Um, I assume in anticipation of this wonderful episode. Possibly. And I answered that I, I love them, but I have to admit that was kind of a lie. <laughs> Um, and that actually, I feel like I have had as a core part of my identity for most of my life that I hate musicals, and,
1: and I'm also not a huge fan of musicals yeah. T- typically. Yeah, uh, and that was that was what the "they're fine" response was for.
0: Really, yeah. Like I think I, I like I wouldn't say they're fine because I don't feel neutrally. Yeah. I either feel very, very strongly that I hate them or they are my favorite thing. <laughs> so there is, it does probably average out to their fine. You know, it's very black and white thinking, which is what we're going to talk about yeah. today. Maybe you should think about that with your next poll options.
1: <laughs> I need to have another one. Like I like some musicals desperately, but hate every other one.
0: Yes. It's possible to cover every possible answer, of course. Yeah, it's true.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it was about today and it's because we are covering a musical, but as someone who tends to really dislike musicals and finds it really weird and uncomfortable watching musicals.
0: Mm. I love this show and Mm. there are musicals that I desperately love too. Absolutely. I would completely agree. Like I've, as much as I say I've made it a part of my core identity that I dislike musicals, I would also say that this is, if not my favourite, one of my very, very, very top favourite TV shows of all time. And, like, I think Bo Burnham's Inside last year Mm. was the the best piece of media to come out of what was a terrible year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Two years really. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so despite my general disdain, (laughs) disdain, sorry, uh, yeah, these two very special, and this one today in particular has been a love of mine for a very long time.
1: Same, which is why we're doing it together, yes. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm. And also because Michael won't watch it with me no matter how many times I try, put it on, hope that he'll absorb it through osmosis. He just doesn't want a bar of it Ugh. because he's someone who hates musicals and, ha- and hasn't given it a chance.
0: Yeah. This is why you must have a wife as well as a husband. Exactly.
1: I recommend it to everyone. And I guess... Neither of us have lived experience of the mental illness, well, the main mental illness depicted in the show, which is borderline personality disorder, Mm. Um, but we definitely see ourselves in many of the characters and experiences and things that happen on the show. Um, So I think we'll be able to talk to it with that caveat. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Very well. Rebecca Bunch is a Yale and Harvard educated lawyer who works for a top New York City law firm. But when she's offered a promotion, she panics, flees the building and just happens to encounter Josh Chan, um, who she dated at school camp as a teenager. Josh tells her that she's moving back to his hometown of West Covina. She decides to follow Josh to West Covina, California, in search of happiness. But of course, in denial that Josh is the reason that she decided to move. Uh, She gets a job at Daryl Whitefeather's law firm and becomes friends with the firm's paralegal Paula. And her neighbour Heather, and begins an on again, off again relationship with Greg, who's Josh's friend, all while trying desperately to connect with Josh, much to the displeasure of his girlfriend Valencia. In the second season, Rebecca begins a tumultuous romantic relationship with Josh after Valencia dumps him. Greg leaves town to go to university, and Rebecca and Valencia begin to become friends. Meanwhile, the wealthy uh, narcissistic I would say Nathan yep. yeah yep. Yep. Nathaniel Plimpton becomes a partner at Daryl's firm hoping to cement their troubled relationship Rebecca and Josh plan to be married but he leaves her at the altar to become a priest dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs> In the third season, Rebecca's emotional state hits rock bottom and she attempts suicide. She gets a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and begins to attempt to take better care of her mental health, take responsibility for her actions. Um, She starts to date Nathaniel and then a series of, of events leads to Rebecca pushing her stalker, who I think also has borderline personality disorder, Trent, or maybe he's a bit of a a psychopath, to be honest.
0: Anyway. He's got a lot going on, I think. (laughs) There's
1: a lot there. Um, Trent. Or is
0: he just a boy in love?
1: He's not responsible for his actions. So she pushes him off a roof um, and then she's trialled, pleads guilty to the crime and goes to jail, determined to take responsibility for all the actions she's done as penance. In the fourth season she gets out of jail, quits her job at the law firm, starts her own pretzel making company and then everyone sort of drifts off to their own sort of life commitments and then Greg comes back and with everyone being a bit more emotionally healthy Rebecca feels pressured to choose between her romances with potentials Josh, Nathaniel and Greg and I'll just leave it there.
0: Yeah. Because I don't want to spoil the ending. We will. But we will probably we, inevitably we definitely will. I spoil mean, the ending. And but I the, think that's a good yeah, place to leave in it. In the interest of the fact that we probably will spoil the ending, I do want to add a, a fun little side note that Greg comes back as a completely different <laughs> actor and it is very hilarious the it's way that so they – It's so well done. It, yeah, the way that they achieve that change. Um, it's very meta and if you haven't seen it, you'll enjoy that. Yeah. I think.
1: Season four is really good. Like it Valencia is. comes back, she's like, I'm here for the whole series. And they're like, what? Yeah of seasons and yeah. events, culture of holidays, yes. you know, Christmas, Valentine's, Easter. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a it's it's a very meta show. It's so cheeky in the way it delivers itself and it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it also is deals with some really
0: serious things. It does. It manages to do that with a lot of humor and self-awareness and also accuracy somehow.
1: Yes. I don't know. See, that's why it's so perfect. I don't know how it achieves all those things at once. I don't
0: know.
1: Plus it's a musical.
0: Rachel Bloom is a
1: a machine. (laughs) Let me just go through the criteria for borderline personality disorder. BPD is a pervasive pattern of instability in interpersonal relationships, self-image and emotion, as well as marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following nine traits. The first is chronic feelings of emptiness... Emotional instability in reaction to -to day-to-day events, for example, intense episodic sadness, irritability or anxiety, usually lasting a few hours and only rarely more than a few days. Frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Identity disturbance with markedly or persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Impulsive behaviour in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, for example, Spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving and binge eating. Inappropriate or intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. For example, frequent displays of temper, constant anger and recurrent physical fights pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships, characterised by extremes between idealisation and devaluation, which is also known as splitting, recurrent suicidal behaviour, gestures or threats, or self-harming behaviour, and transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. And it's just important to recognise the essential features of a personality disorder in itself, because I'm sure we can relate to a lot of the symptoms presented in different ways, but it becomes a personality disorder when it impacts on your functioning. So it's impairments in your personality, self and interpersonal functioning, and the presence of pathological personality traits. So in order to have those traits diagnosed as a personality disorder, the following criteria needs to be met. Firstly, significant impairments in self-identity or self-direction and interpersonal functioning, interpersonal being empathy or intimacy. One or more pathological personality trait domains or trait facets. The impairments in personality functioning and the individual's personality trait expression are relatively stable across time and consistent across situations. So it has to be in all situations that you experience this impairment. And the impairments in personality functioning and the individual's personality trait expression are not better understood as a normative for the individual's developmental stage or sociocultural environment. And that's important to recognise because most teenagers, particularly teenage girls, (laughs) wouldn't meet the criteria for BPD. I probably was one of them when I was younger. And lastly, of course, the impairments in personality functioning and the indiv- individual's personality trait expression are not solely due to the direct physiological effects of a substance, such as a drug of abuse or medication. So it can't be explained by drugs, alcohol, etc. We'll start talking about lived experience of the actors. I'll obviously start with Rachel Bloom, and I, I will try not to go too in depth because I think what we know about the show is they didn't actually intend for Rebecca to have borderline personality disorder at the beginning. I always say personality disorder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just your Australian but that's what coming I'm doing. out.
1: And then they actually research, you know, what what does this person who has all these traits, what are they likely mm. to have?
0: And then it sort of fit Bill, which I kind of like. I think it um, possibly contributes. I don't want to interrupt you too much before no, you please go do. into this section. But oh, I please. think that really contributes to how it is such an accurate portrayal of this particular condition because the reality is that as, as human beings, we don't grow up knowing what the, you know, proverbial boxes that will end up being put in as an adult or mm. whenever in life we might discover what the thing is that describes our experiences. And so, you know, we, we don't behave in exactly the ways that you would expect based on a on paper diagnosis. On a checklist, yeah. And it means that they they're able to portray a very like authentic human experience with varied symptoms that could fit into different boxes at different times and that change and evolve with her different relationships. Um, So that ultimately you end up with this really like, yeah, accurate and and authentic representation that hasn't been built out of criteria.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think in um, one of our last episodes, Atypical, we talk Mm. about how they look like they wanted a checkbox, someone Mm. who ticks the box of of autism Mm. and in the end he he looked like a checkbox character. Mm. Um, And Eric and I were saying how they did auditions Mm. with people but it wasn't what they were looking for. And those people with autism did get the role because it wasn't what she was looking for. And it's like, no, no, you should have gone with the person before you go to the checklist, which mm. is what they did here. Mm. Um, because it becomes, like you say, more more nuanced mm. um, and more, more of an accurate, well-rounded representation. Yeah,
0: because yeah, I suppose the reality is of, you know, all people living with a number of different um, mental health conditions is that, sure, we have these checklists, but it's pretty rare that you find someone that meets every single criteria, yeah. ticks off every single box. And so everybody is, you know, parts of parts of themselves that relate to that condition, parts of themselves that don't. They might have some components and not others. They might manifest in different ways. and And so the reality is that if you try and build somebody with every single symptom to a T – you're going to end up with a very unrealistic looking person. cartoonish. Yeah.
1: And having said that, there are aspects of her character which is a little bit embellished and over the top, Hmm. but it is an embellished over the top show, so it
0: works. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, being a musical serves it there and then (laughs) there's a lot of sort of out there aspects, but it doesn't feel like it's in service of creating a very specific, you know, checkbox character. It's just sort of a a virtue of the show overall and perhaps all of the characters have aspects of themselves that are like that.
1: And it also also didn't start out by saying this person has borderline. Let's Mm. talk about, let's portray this person Mm. right now. This is what our aim is. Mm. It wasn't really about that initially. So it worked out well. So Rachel Bloom, I found out, a little bit of detail. She's spoken a lot. So I didn't want to go into a a bit of an internet black hole and please add anything, you know, as well, Mm -hmm. because we we both love her deeply. Mm -hmm. But she has spoken that she has had quite an experience of major depressive episodes and severe anxiety as a youngster, as well as like while creating Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And she later on came out to say, yes, I've been diagnosed with OCD as well. So she's definitely had a lot of experience with mental illness and with breakups and with all of the things that happen on the show pretty much. Mm. Uh, A quote from her is that, um, I don't have borderline personality disorder. However, I've dealt with many other things that are incredibly personal to me that I think are important to share. And I think you see that a lot in the show. Mm, Like it, it feels very natural to her, the way she portrays it. Absolutely. And
0: I think perhaps, you know, the fact that they didn't write the show around a particular diagnosis and kind of let the character and the the story guide where that ultimately went kind of speaks to that as well. That she's really tried to put her authentic experiences in there without any particular label and kind of see what comes out. And yeah, so I don't think it's it matters that she hasn't had borderline specifically. It, I
1: feel like it doesn't because of the way they wrote the show. Like mm. she didn't say, I'm gonna write a person mm. with this diagnosis. Mm. Um, she wrote aspects of herself and probably embellished them, mm. and then went, "Hey, yeah, let's look at what would happen to this character, and yeah. that's what would happen." So, yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's good writing.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe maybe what I was thinking there is that you know often we would look at things like this and think, "Well, this is a very you know um, serious condition that can have a really big impact on people's lives, and is it a good thing for somebody who doesn't have lived experience with that particular condition to be writing?" a show that ultimately ends up built around that. But I think because she is able to draw on her own experiences so authentically, Mm. um, it still comes across as very empathetic and understanding and sincere and, I think, relatable to people who do have that particular experience.
1: Exactly. And the articles I have read on people – with Borderline, who have watched the show, have felt very seen through the mm. show and felt that it was a really good depiction mm. and actually sort of helps their mental health in in the form of the, the songs as well that mm. are super relatable. Mm. So it it's done good and mm. for that reason it doesn't quite matter so much that she ha- doesn't mm. have that specific diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. She's Because do- she does it justice. And as Eric Garcia said as well, Just because you don't have the thing doesn't mean you can't create something about the thing. It's just how you do it.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think that she's, or this show anyway, let's not be too much (laughs) huge fangirls of Rachel Bloom, although we are, Yes, um, I think that she is a really good example and this show is a really good example that that can be done respectfully and accurately even by someone without that specific experience. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I've gone through some of the other characters as well Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of because pretty much everyone on the show has either some mental ill health or potential mental illnesses themselves. Donna... Lynn Champlin, who plays Paula, um, did say that she's had, during making the the last season, Mm -hmm. um, has had some mental ill health during that time and she said she had to make some emergency calls to a therapist in that last season Mm -hmm. um, and was just like, I have no shame about that. You need to take care of yourself. And she did say, it's been hard because of how I grew up and the dynamics that I set up for myself are very similar to the ones I play in this show. Sometimes it gets a little too close, so you shake it off, call your therapist and it's back to work. So I thought that was a good quote to show, a little bit of insight that Hmm. Donna has experienced some of the things that Paula Hmm. experiences on the show, which also I think rings true for an authentic, excellent portrayal of of Paula the character.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, um, Paula the character... In the show, you know, it doesn't at any point. I think we'll speak about this a little bit later, but um, she doesn't have any formal diagnoses, and so yeah, it's interesting to to see that Donna's life experiences, I suppose, came through in a very authentic way, which mm. I think really speaks to, you know, we all have varying experiences with mental health and psychological well being across our lives, whether or not we end up with a diagnosable condition that requires X Y Z. Mm. We all have sort of relatable life experiences like that. Um, mm. That can be very helpful for people,
1: yeah, exactly definitely. The character who plays Heather has also mentioned that she focuses a lot on her well-being, both physical and mental, and sort of explains about how you 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 never sort of arrive at a place where all of a sudden you you figured everything out and everything is perfect, which is very similar to sort of her character's journey as well. Mm, absolutely. The character who plays Josh as well, Vincent Rodriguez the mm-hmm. second. I think he's got like Possibly. a yeah, <laughs> thing at the end
0: of his name. I can never remember when people have those, but good job.
1: Yeah. He really struggled during the pandemic, so he's mentioned that he's had um was really depressed during that time. So mm. yeah, it's definitely after the show was finished, but shows that he's in touch with his emotions and he mm. sort of plays plays those off. Really well. And Nathaniel, the character who plays Nathaniel, is also very into mental health representation as well in his career. So Mm. I feel like she definitely singled out people in these roles who were comfortable with mental illness, were okay with portraying some level of that and having those Mm. conversations about it, which I Mm. think is really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, varying levels across across the cast, I suppose, of, you know, maybe lived experience with mental illness, but certainly she's put together a team of people who are all very um, respectful and open and, and willing to talk about their own experiences growing up and their own experiences with mental health. Yeah, And that really... Probably contributes to
1: why we love the show so much. It's true, and I also I just had a thought too because it's a very diverse cast in terms of representation of um, people of color and mm. and cultures and um, LGBTI representation as well, and they're all very theatre background because they they can all do the triple they're all triple threaders. Mm-hmm. They can sing, dance, and act. Mm-hmm. So to be able to bring people together all that talented as well as from all different walks of life mm. is pretty incredible mm. but also it probably speaks to the the community that they're from as well.
0: Yeah, I was about to say the exact <laughs> same thing. I don't think it's a coincidence no. that when you bring together a, a group of triple threats who are so talented and who have really, um, you know, thrived in that community that they also have a lot of self-awareness and are uh, very conscious of mental health and open to talking about things like that. And p-
1: potentially have had their own experiences of Absolutely. That. Because it is quite a maligned (laughs) industry in which to be in. Before we discuss how accurate we think the depiction is, what I read from interviews is that they consulted with mental health professionals about her character and had a lot of psychologists and um, psychiatrists talk about what her actions and what the diagnosis would be. So they really didn't just like get out the DSM and go, oh, what do you reckon? They actually consulted with mental health professionals, which I really appreciate. So like from what you know, Elise, as a as a doctor of psychology, how do you think the depiction of borderline comes through in the show?
0: Hmm. I mean, it's a it's a funny one to talk about. I think in terms of accuracy, because well, because of what we know about the fact that they did not set out to yeah. to represent borderline, but I think that perhaps the conclusions that the therapist that they um, consulted with and and the, the direction they decided to go in with the show based on her behaviour is relatively accurate mm. um, so one thing in particular that I think is very accurate perhaps by happy accident <laughs> is that <laughs> along the along the way you know she receives many different diagnoses for different mm. conditions mm-hmm. you know she's told she has depression anxiety insomnia I actually was listening to the diagnosis song on the way here today <laughs> um, and there's listening. a naturopath that tells it's her insomnia. she's got a sex addiction. (laughs) Um, Get on your naturopath. (laughs) And we can, you know, putting the accuracy of those potential other random diagnoses aside, I think that that experience is something that a lot of people with borderline could relate to, that they have this this long history of being told they've got X, Y, Z, oh, it's not that anymore, that's not going to work, try this other medication, it's something else. Um, And so that in particular I think would feel very real and very – relatable to people with bipolar disorder and is and is an accurate representation of a lot of people's experiences. For yeah, sure. I
1: definitely agree. And I think that the fact that she gets to a place where she ends up in a very, very dark place where her life is threatened, that leads to that final diagnosis after being with Dr. Okopian for so many years. Mm. That's, I think that's probably an accurate representation of when it gets to the point of like, hang on, what is actually underlying all of the the symptom the symptomology right now. Luckily, not not everyone gets to that point, but also mm. not everyone gets that experience of having that longevity with a psychologist to get to that di- that final diagnosis at the yeah, end.
0: Absolutely, which you know because it is sort of a an ongoing pattern of behaviour that will impact people's lives to varying degrees across their life. Um, like you said, it's not necessarily something where you could just go in for one session and come out and yeah. you've, got, you've got the right label and off you go. Here's and, the treatment plan. And,
1: and you wouldn't want a psychologist to do that anyway. <laughs> Absolutely not.
0: Absolutely not.
1: just <laughs> so And that's the difficulty with diagnosing borderline personality disorder is because a lot of the patterns of the disorder, such as having very unstable lives and relationships and very impulsive ways to avoid abandonment, can mean them leaving before you get to that point. Mm. And you see it in the show being presented with that confrontation from her friends and from Dr. Copian, her response is to leave. Mm. And that's that's common. Um, so it's hard to get that stability enough to get to that diagnosis, which is why personality disorders are often hard to diagnose
0: for that reason. Mm, absolutely. And I think also, you know, maybe you can speak to this better, Steph, but also perhaps some, some psychologists see it questionably as a helpful diagnosis mm. um, because Borderline in particular is quite sti- stigmatised. Yes, hugely. Um, and so it might be something that you're sort of cautious to diagnose someone with even if you do have a suspicion you know I think in the show Dr Okopian certainly once she receives that diagnosis from her psychiatrist is very much in agreement about it yes and it seems like perhaps had thought that for a while and had for for whatever reason chosen to withhold that from Rebecca yes probably because of how Rebecca receives the news
1: yes thought that was really well portrayed but it's almost like you have to pick your moment um Mm. of going this is what I think you have and they have to be at a at a place to be able to accept that mm. um, and it looked like Rebecca was getting to that place where she could accept it. Initially, which I think was very accurate, she rejected it. Mm. But then when presented with those nine symptoms, mm. she couldn't help but accept it. Mm. And also her response afterwards of being like, this means that I'm broken, was also a very relatable.
0: Sadly, yeah, I yeah. think I, I would agree that that is probably a – you know, a bit of a roller coaster that a lot of people who have received that diagnosis have gone through. Yeah, which mm. is really sad
1: because mm. there is like when she googles all the all the things, and the doctors all say, "Don't google it, don't google it." And mm-hmm. of course, she googles it, and it has lots of really negative statistics. Some of which are sadly true, like mm. there is a higher likelihood of suicidal mm-hmm. behaviour
0: in people with borderline. There's even stigma around sometimes with in certain groups of clinicians of working with patients with bipolar disorder, unfortunately. Exactly. Michael has mentioned that <laughs> in yes, his psychiatry training. He has.
1: Um, which is really, and you can see Dr. Okopian gets very frustrated with the Beko <laughs> mm. many times. Um, so they even portray that. So it's, it's unfortunate because of this messaging that there's not a lot of that positive messaging in the media of people with waterline are out there and living their best lives mm. and have friends, have relationships, have jobs, mm. have
0: careers and there are tools available. There are going to be psychologists that want to work with you and want to help you cope and, and make sure that you have things in place to, to live your best life and do really well.
1: Yes. And mm. there's also, you know, positives from that come with the condition. Like someone like Rebecca goes on to have a very creative, you assume at the end, mm. she, she writes her songs. Does she? Oops. <laughs> Spoiler. And she's a very loving presence with
0: everyone. So, mm. yeah, she's a, yeah. she's a wonderful, wonderful, loving friend. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I really like the depiction of where it comes from, too, potentially, with her mum being a very narcissistic, probably also on um borderline mm. definitely borderline traits as well, um, mm. and that that um, feeling of abandonment from her father, mm. where some of those um mm. that that sense of abandonment has come from. Mm. I think that's very accurate as to what what can proceed the um, symptomology. The of development of that sort of pattern of, of
0: behavior and, and well being. Yeah. I yeah, I almost was going to bring that up as um, a potential stereotype. True. But I think it's <laughs> it, it is also unfortunately accurate for the ideology of the condition. Often, you know, yeah. people with borderline may not have great relationships with their parents and sometimes it comes from that sort of disordered attachment.
1: Yes. And there's a school of thought that borderline is actually complex developmental Mm. trauma and trauma trauma attachment in Mm -hmm. a diagnostic form, which I tend to ascribe to Mm. um, because often that is the case. Mm. Agreed, yeah. We sound very clinical, Elise.
0: (laughs) We do. Um, So another thing that I think they portray quite well in the show and quite accurately um, is her tendency to experience some sort of dissociative symptoms and perhaps some also like it's not quite not quite psychotic symptoms mm. but thinking outside of perhaps the, the, the realms of reality. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so some examples being, um, I mean, she definitely does dissociate in the show. There's a, there's a few that's, examples of that.
1: And I guess that's what she's doing all the way through the show with her musical numbers.
0: Yes, mm. exactly. Turns out, spoiler alert, <laughs> <towards> <laughs> It's the all end, happening in her hair. We find out that it's all in her head. Yeah. Uh, not the whole show. I don't think it would be one of my favourite shows if it was a gets to the end of the fourth season. And it was all a dream. <laughs> but you
1: sort of notice in season two when I'm just a
0: girl yeah
1: she's like oh no i just created you this is all in my head
0: yeah 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 so we we know (laughs) we know there are there are hints at it throughout certainly um but there are some specific events in the show as well that speak to that um thinking dr phil makes a couple Mm. of appearances for example dream ghosts dream ghosts so she, she she has a dream where she believes that she's you know on the plane with her psychologist and they have a real big breakthrough and um, it's it's a very otherworldly experience, I suppose, but mm. also yeah in in dr Phil and also her exes she will have hallucinations or it's it's not clear whether it's a full hallucination or whether it's sort of a very very active imagination yeah. mm. I think it's sort of a l- combination
1: of both maybe or possibly yeah a bit possibly. Blurry. but mm. definitely
0: some very creative thinking um dr Phil does make a couple of appearances on the show mm. whether or not he is imagined and it is Very good. Very good.
1: But is it problematic?
0: (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. We'll
1: get to that.
0: (laughs) It's good fun, but interesting choice. Yes, very interesting choice. Now that I think about it, yeah. Rachel, why did you do us that Mm -hmm. way? (laughs) She assembled this wonderful team of empathetic and open and talented people, and then she invited Doctor Phil. (laughs) Phil. (laughs) So an interesting choice, but it it did fit very well with the story. Unfortunately, yeah.
1: No, it was. Yeah. It was like I. It was the perfect
0: character it was it was the right person and it's it's almost funny that he's there as an imagined figure or a you know a hallucination as if he's not really there because yeah. you kind of forget watching the show that he Isn't, he is he had to be actually, there on set
1: yeah dr <laughs> phil is on set yeah and it's a it's a show you know sort of smashing mental health stigma and then you've got dr phil is like the worst representation of a therapist that i can think of mm. um
0: <laughs> yeah um, so another thing I think they do quite well in the show um, is that a, a common a common feature of um, borderline is the experience of identity disturbance or mm-hmm. maybe some instability in that sense of identity. And certainly we see um, Rebecca. I often forget. Whether I'm referring to Rachel or Rebecca, (laughs) um, but Rebecca in the show um, certainly have some really profound changes in her personality depending on the relationship she's invested in. So Mm -hmm. we certainly see evidence of her, you know, really playing up certain aspects of her personality or making up new ones circa – Ping Pong Girl. Yes, that's right. Um, Which is one of my favourite songs, (laughs) I think. Um, (laughs) But also, you know, even with her friendships as well, you Mm. know, she starts to feel some distance in her friendship with Paula. So she gets much closer with this younger group of gals Mm. and starts to really take on their sort of persona and their interests and even their fashion sense and things like that. And so she's really clinging on to these aspects of their identity to try and kind of craft one for herself, I think to try and feel a bit of stability there.
1: Yeah. And same in the last season when her friends are sort of moving on and buying houses and getting having kids and getting mm. married and she's like, Well, I'm not there, so I've got to be fizzy with the cool kids.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: um and even things like with sexy French depression, like Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna be the depressed sexy girl now. Yes, yes. When exactly. she is genuinely depressed, but it's also like putting it on like this mm. is me, mm. which is often I've definitely felt that way as a teenager, like I'm feeling down so I'll just be the depressed girl mm-hmm. in, a, in a sort of glamorised sense. Yeah. So I really relate to that, <laughs> that song particularly. Yeah, I think we all can a little yeah. bit, yes,
0: definitely. And
1: then sort of at the end in that 11 o'clock
0: Mm. um sequence
1: where she's trying on all the different
0: Mm. personalities
1: like who am I actually and Mm. then finding a way to put all those personalities into Mm. her art form which Mm. becomes writing her songs down
0: yeah you're right I don't think I'd quite conceptualize that song and that sequence in that way it is beautiful though I love it I love it it's an amazing way to sort of wrap things up a little bit but you're right sort of trying on all of the all of the things and all of the people that she has been across the series and I think also in a way finding finding a way to accept that these are all parts of her rather than trying to kind of fit herself into, oh, I am this kind of person or that kind of person, that she Mm -hmm. can be all of those things and sort of embrace all of the different aspects.
1: Do you know what too? It's kind of like when we've we've done Sybil with Mm. all the the 17 personalities with someone with uh, dissociative identity disorder and I feel like maybe some people with borderline might have been diagnosed DID. I have absolutely no evidence to suggest that, but the representation of her being trying on all these different personas could be seen Mm. as a person like a a DID sort of dissociative Mm. disorder, but it's like aspects of dissociation, Mm. but it's more... Explained by Borderline in Mm. that they're all parts of her Mm. but they're not... Like distinct personalities yeah. themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely mm. agree. Yeah, so yeah, so we've already touched briefly on um, the fact that the show does does depict um, at least one attempt at suicide, although mm. there are, there are two in her life at least that yes, we know about. That's true. Um, yeah, that are sort of shown to varying degrees, um, and that there are at times sort of threats or she does engage in in quite impulsive and behaviour that could result in in harm to herself. Yeah, as self destructive. Well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and harm to
1: other people, uh, her relationships as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, it's it's so strange almost to, to talk about the fact that these things are represented so well in the show in such a respectful and and I think accurate way for people mm. who do have experiences with those kinds of things, given that it is a silly musical but I think
1: I was just <laughs> thinking that too because it's like what well, it's like their internal monologue it's her mm. internal monologue in song form so it sort of explains why I'm doing this behavior because xyz mm. naturally this is my pattern of behavior I'm gonna go and sleep with Greg's dad or whatever mm. it is <laughs> um you can you can kind of empathize more with Never
0: her fuck your
1: <laughs> <dad>. <laughs> a key learning <laughs> from Greg's ex-girlfriend <laughs> imagine it (laughs) don't (laughs) it makes you it gives you empathy for Hmm. the behavior because you kind of understand where it comes
0: from I guess yeah it's an excellent point in that yeah often I think you know we might if there are behaviors like that that are depicted in media they're often sort of depicted as very outrageous and oh my gosh how could anybody do that whereas the show does a really great job of really taking you on that journey with her and Mm. seeing how she gets to those decisions and certainly I think Could evoke a very, very good level of empathy in the audience. Um, You know, I'm sure that the audience is mainly made up of very aware and mentally health conscious (laughs) individuals. But, you know, everybody is capable of um, being a little bit judgmental about people's decisions and that sort of thing. Oh, hell yeah.
1: Including myself.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Me too. Me too. But I think the job, the show does a really good job of. Um, helping you to really see it from her perspective and be a bit more forgiving of those choices. Yeah. Except maybe sleeping with your ex-boyfriend. Yeah,
1: probably the lowest she's gone. And I guess I just want to also mention like that splitting um,
0: Mm -hmm. because Mm
1: -hmm. that was one thing that I always always rang with me when I learnt about borderline um, in my studies um, is that splitting, like you're either best friends Mm -hmm. or worst enemies and there's no in between. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that meant people with borderline would just cut you out of their life. But mm. as you see with Rebecca, she doesn't. Mm. Um, she ends up staying friends with people even though I don't know if they would all be friends with her
0: <laughs> in real life at this point because she's put them through the ringer a few times. But Possibly, but possibly that speaks to um, what uh, experiences and things those other people might also be yes. <laughs> dealing with.
1: that's exactly true. <laughs> she, like, for example, when they try and intervene, she mm. brings out the most awful um, mm attacks on all of them, goes off to do the swim fan thing, which is always very funny, um, and then becomes like best friends with a random backpacker and says, you're the only person who understands me. It's that mm. I need to – and she's like that with all the, the guys in the relationships too. Mm. She she very much gives all her intensity to one person and if that doesn't give back or something goes wrong, then it's, oh, well, no, nah, I've blown it. Mm-hmm. I'll go to the next person. But that doesn't mean the previous person isn't mm. also – a possibility. So it's that instability really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I think I probably would have, you know, at some time in the past also conceptualized that splitting in that way of that, you know, you're my best friend until you're not, and then you're gone out of my life. And that's probably not the reality of how most people experience that kind of instability. Like you said, it's much more sort of waxing and waning and Mm. very harsh turns, but not necessarily cutting people out of her life. So I think, um, when I was thinking about this sort of idea of, um, maybe the splitting and some of the emotional stability um, I was thinking today about how really to some degree and not to not to minimize the experience of people with borderline because I absolutely don't wish to do that but that they're actually much more relatable experiences than I think we give credit for and I think a mm-hmm. lot of people can relate to having periods in their life where they're perhaps a bit on and off with their friends or yeah they have a bit sure. of instability because of things that they've got going on and I, don't, and I don't mean to suggest that it's to the same degree or that oh, it's just normal and and get on with it by Mm. any means. But I think it's a real shame that the condition is so stigmatised when Mm. actually a lot of the experiences of people with borderline are just perhaps more extreme versions of pretty, you know, normal things that we all experience in
1: relationships. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We all go through highs and the lows that she experiences in her relationships with people and her friendships as well Mm. but it's at a different level I guess yeah yeah yeah.
0: it's about that sort of I guess impact that it's having on your life you know perhaps Mm. for some people it doesn't have sort of a functional impact or doesn't impair their Mm. ability to engage in their relationships and their work and their life and that sort of thing um and that's where that line is yeah but but really they're not you know, they're not otherworldly experiences. No, not Relationships at all. are difficult and, <laughs> and also life is difficult.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Don't we bloody know it.
0: Yeah, and so, yeah, I think um, the, the show does a really good good job of humanising those experiences yeah. and making it clear the how, how just, you know, perhaps relatable they are to a broader audience than people would assume.
1: Definitely. I think she says at one point she's so used to living life in the extreme she doesn't know. Had to be just in sort of an okay state, yes. Which I think speaks to it. It's we've all been in those extremes mm. for Rebecca or someone with borderline personality. Being in that sort of nothing much going on, just plugging away is hard. Like it's and not is, is the uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, it's is not the not uncomfortable, uncomfortable feeling. feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Should we talk about the depiction of therapy? Yeah, let treatment. Absolutely, love to. What do you think about Dr. Okopian?
0: So I I love her as a character. I think she is really great and I think there's a lot of scenes with her and Rebecca that are really good that I think, you know, perhaps a lot of us have had or maybe wish we had a therapist who would be so direct and, Mm. you know, supportive but also critical of our behaviour. I think she does a really good job of balancing that um, those two aspects of therapy definitely. Um, I do have some some negative things to mm-hmm. say. Um, Tell me. You, okay. Okay. <laughs> I um, might agree. While it is one of my favorites, and I believe it is actually the song that you introduced the show to me with. I think. Really. This session's going to be different. Yes. Song? I remember sending that. I think yeah. you posted it on my Facebook wall. <laughs> <laughs> Was it? Was that We're just becoming friends. Yeah, oh, I know. Here we are. That was, that was uh, risky. <laughs> it was risky, but it paid off, <laughs> both in friendship and in me enjoying the show a lot. Um, I'm pretty sure that that was that was the first song, and then I was like, "All right, I'm on board. I love that song. I think it's mm. hilarious." Mm. I I worry sometimes that it's a little bit shamey and maybe yeah. a little bit not that encouraging for people who are seeking help for the sorts of things that Rebecca is experiencing. I I totally agree. I think that song was written for therapists. Ag- not for therapists. Agreed. But then I but then I become really meta with it and I'm like, mm. okay, but then if we as the audience are like, oh, this is for therapists because it's so relatable, it makes me think, are we are we then perceiving all therapists <laughs> as like really tired of oh, their God patients? Here and comes like,
1: that client again. Exactly,
0: exactly, <laughs> which I don't think is the reality for most therapists. I think relatable, D- no. absolutely, but it's not how most therapists are approaching every session and yeah. every patient and, and that kind of thing. And, yeah, I worry, I, I worry about that perception even though I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: totally agree. I think I really enjoyed watching that. For the first time, and going, oh my god, this is so funny and mm. relatable. Especially the my requisite therapy shawl.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> to be fair, some of my favorite parts are very benign and not you know
1: because <laughs> it's true. Not we are either wear statement shawls, statement necklaces, mm-hmm. or statement earrings. Yes, absolutely. that is always the case. Absolutely, <laughs> it's definitely very interpretable. As you clients are very draining on us sometimes, and we. are get very frustrated with you and just want you to fix yourself mm. when um, that's, you know, I'm sure all of us therapists have those feelings at some stage, But you know, because we're humans too and we we carry a lot. Mm. But most of the time good therapists don't have those feelings and are very empathetic and understanding and know that there's a process and a journey and, mm. and I think, on top of that song, there's also the fact that she's been with Rebecca for so long, despite mm. the fact she breaks quite a few boundaries mm. very early on and
0: literally breaks into her office. Yes,
1: and probably should have referred her on for her own
0: mental health. <laughs> yes, possibly,
1: but she persists.
0: So assists. we've got to give her that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. Um, and good thing she doesn't take health insurance, as she said. <laughs> she charges more than I charged when I was in private practice. Yes. Expensive, but you know it shows what therapy is required in order for someone to make change sometimes it takes years of therapy absolutely if they if they do have something like yeah. bpd where you need to have a an attachment with your client that is mm. is unconditional and continuous and isn't going to stop at the drop of a hat because mm. for that person to make change and to be at the at the it was really she was holding a space for her for when she was ready to Mm. Start to delve deeply. It was there for
0: her, and that takes time. Absolutely, absolutely. I did just want to quickly make a joke about how the fact that she's very expensive is definitely an accurate portrayal. Um, <laughs> yes. At least in America, yes. we have we have an okay system here that means that hopefully most people can get access to affordable mental health care. Still um, a big gap, though. It still can be a big gap. I'm mm. very lucky that my my psychs are very. I think I didn't pay for my last session. Ooh. <laughs> It was only yesterday, guys. It's okay. I need to call. (laughs) Telehealth is hard. You've got to remember to call up after. No, I've had a few telehealths
1: where I was like, I've got to bank how much I need to pay her because she just says, oh, give it to me next time I see you. And then it's like, how many times do I need to give you the gap? Um, Yes. But, yeah, you're right. It it is expensive. And you know what? It should be expensive because it's a hard job. It is a
0: it is an incredibly valuable one as well. But it should be better resourced, so people don't have to pay yes. that money out so of it. So that pocket. both our therapists can be appropriately compensated for yes. their incredible work. Yes, thank you. And people can access care affordably. Uh, one other thing that I think they do a good job of showing that is the reality of therapy is that Rebecca often goes to Dr. Acopian in search of, um, like, direction and answers and mm. she wants her to tell her what to do mm. and I know that I have done this to my own therapist. Absolutely. In fact, she accused me recently of, yes, last session I thought that you really came to me wanting me to tell you what to do. And I was like, yes, and you did it. That's what you're there for, isn't it? <laughs> That's why I'm paying you. <laughs> um, but I think they did a good job of showing you know, the reality that Dr. Okopian doesn't just tell her what to do with her life. She certainly questions her decisions when she – Rebecca's decisions, that is, when she feels that they might be impulsive or harmful or she needs to, you know, better consider the repercussions of what she's doing. Mm. Um, But she never directly instructs her on how Mm. to live her life. I think that that is an important accuracy to show.
1: I think they did that really well because you could sense that she – could have told her what to do, but Absolutely. she holds back and that would have ruined it. Mm. And I think she probably knew Rebecca being Rebecca. And, you know, we're not supposed to do this anyway as therapists, but if she was to tell Rebecca what to do and it doesn't work out, well, she mm. might lose a client mm. and Absolutely. lose a relationship.
0: Absolutely. And lose all that progress that she's made.
1: Yes. What did you think about the diagnosis process and what happens after that and her sort of journey of the treatment afterwards? After the diagnosis. Mm.
0: Good question. I mean, as we've discussed, I don't myself have um, borderline personality disorder. So I can't speak to that on a personal level, level of how accurate it is for my journey. But I do, think, I do think the process of how she gets there is quite accurate. I think mm. the fact that it's sort of a very long process, as we've talked about with many inaccurate or inappropriate diagnoses along the way. It sort of leads to this real crisis point at which point she's got not only her psychologist that she's been seeing but the psychiatrist at the hospital. They're sort of triaging in a larger team mm. and that's how they come to ultimately that conclusion with mm. sort of years of, of files and her previous history and mm. her work with Dr. Okopian and it really takes all of that information and all of those different minds yes, in order to land on that particular diagnosis. Um, I think in terms of her treatment plan after that, I suppose we don't really, you know, she goes to, I think they change her meds again yeah, <laughs> to something else. They don't really talk specifically. Oh, no, specifically. they take her off
1: her meds. Off all of them? I thought so. Um, isn't Dr. Shine, where my treatment protocol is actually in without meds. Yeah. That's what he says at the beginning. Yeah, I think yeah.
0: you're right. I think you're right. So she comes off medication, which pos- would be accurate for some people, not for others. Mm. You know, many people with many different kinds of diagnoses are on medication yeah. daily. Um, but certainly she was taking quite a, a number, yes. which is perhaps not so usual. And perhaps that's related to trying to treat, well, Multiple. actually, probably accurate. I think it actually but not an appropriate more treatment yeah. um, plan for people with, with um, borderline personality no, disorder. No, definitely. Um, Sadly, accurate. Sadly accurate, mm. yes, I think particularly perhaps in that pre-diagnosis phase where sort of just trying to treat all of these symptoms of like, well, you've got anxiety, so we'll try and keep that under control and you have these periods of sort of depressive like episodes and perhaps also you've got sleep problems and trying to address all of the you know individual issues mm. rather than thinking about what's actually going I don't on lie. yeah. But she attends uh, group therapy. She does keep having individual sessions with Dr. Okopian as well. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't really show too much in terms of what the group therapy actually is. Yeah, I wish they did. We only
1: really see them when she's looking for someone to save the Darrell Whitefeather lawyer firm. Yeah. And it would have been good to see some actual therapy because I assume it would have been dialectical behaviour therapy. I was going to say. I
0: assume it's meant to be but all we see is her kind of like joking with them and using them as a support crew when her friends are not available or, you know, that sort of thing, Like, which is funny and, and, you know, perhaps and what actually are in the
1: workbooks as well yes. she gets lots of workbooks which is also often a dialectical behavior therapy or dbt
0: dbt <laughs> yeah yeah mode of therapy is often yes. worksheets so it does it does seem like it probably is a dbt group mm. um but we don't really see much of of what that actually involves we just know that she's doing all her homework and yeah wants a gold star
1: <laughs> yeah 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 I love that she's very relatable <laughs> I like that she tries to ace therapy which is also a borderline trait like I have mm. to be all or nothing and the way that they talk talk that through is you know you can't just like win mm. you, it's a lifelong thing mm. that you have to manage and yeah. There's going to be days where you win and days when you lose, and that's that's life.
0: Yeah, and the you know effective treatment is not going to be a checkbox. It's not just that you complete all of these forms and then you're better and you're good and you don't need therapy anymore. You need to engage with the material, and it's an ongoing process, like you said.
1: And I like how rather than she gets the diagnosis, she's um, got therapy. She's better at the end.
0: Yeah, and she gets married. Mm. (laughs) No, I think they do a good job of showing the reality of how long that process can be. Mm. And for her there's
1: gonna be relapses.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And for her it seems like she's also quite hard on herself Mm. about about recovery, um, like after she kind of gets over her phase of wanting to win and get an A-plus in, in therapy yeah. and impress everyone, I think she does kind of really embody, you know, engaging with the process and she takes that quite seriously and kind of withdraws and, des- and decides, okay, I need to be alone, you know, until I'm until I'm better and is quite harsh on not letting herself get involved in new relationships mm. until she's convinced that she's 100% Ready, and that's I think at the time the timeline gets a little unclear in the last sort of season or so. But it's probably over a year or two yeah. that she kind of forces herself to be alone, um, yeah, in order to heal. Perhaps a good thing, perhaps not. But she does t- seem to be quite hard on herself about it.
1: She does, and it, I like how the ther- like Doctor Copian and Doctor Sh- Shine, her psychiatrist, sort of encouraged her. You don't have to. Because her refusing to be in a relationship is also like a borderline trait yeah, in itself. Yeah. Like I'm either alone or I'm together and mm. there's no in between. Yeah. So they're like you don't have to just stop yourself from having mm. companionship or intimacy. Like yeah, you no, still yeah. need it in your life. Mm. But it's trying to go slowly and not, mm. not getting sucked into it and stopping yourself. Yeah. And you see her start to do that a little bit when the Absolutely. The pretty music comes up when she looks at Josh again and she goes, Nope,
0: stop. Nope. Yep. yeah, um, Exactly. She she Definitely develops a lot of self-awareness and mm-hmm. much greater ability to sort of manage her own um, her own relationships and her, you know, emotional stability and that sort of thing for sure. So it seems to be very effective for her over a pretty long mm. period.
1: What did you think about the medication song? <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and when she starts to go on the antidepressant? Yeah.
0: Look, there's no mm, – can I say that? I, mm-hmm. I don't think there is a song that I don't like in the <laughs> show, like – I, I swear, there's probably about twenty that every time they come, I'm like, oh, it's one of my, one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard not to love them. There's so many. Um, but the antidepressant song is wonderful, yeah, and I think it's one of my faves too. I don't really have any criticisms of it because it's just so so fun and so fun about a topic that. Can be so serious, yes. You know, people yes. can take it as such it's so serious, but they're right. It's so not a big deal. I know. You know,
1: and I want everyone to listen to that song I know. and then realize that the person you're talking to right now probably is on some yeah. sort of form of antidepressant. Yeah, the person you're listening to right now is.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I think it's the stat that I normally use in my in my writing. Although it's probably a bit out of date. I'm sure it's more than this, but at least one in ten probably up to a bit higher than that at the moment, but Australians are on an antidepressant, some of the highest rates in the world, interestingly. That is very interesting. Very. Is it because of the federal government? Uh, (laughs) Probably it's ever (laughs) we're <laughs> all really depressed because of them. Yes. <laughs> this isn't a political podcast. No, um, no. It's, it is actually very interesting because you would kind yeah. of think instinctively that a lot of the almost Nordic countries where they have those issues with day day length, maybe this mm. is an instinctive thing to me yes. as a chronobiologist. <laughs> but anyway, we know that there's really, really, really high rates of depression in areas where... Um, they don't get much sun for lots of the year right? mm-hmm. they have really really short days um, and so mm-hmm. I kind of would have thought that there'd be highest antidepressant use there but but no Australia is amongst the highest um, Our use of antidepressants exceeds most countries in the in the Western world's use of antibiotics so the average OECD countries oh. use of antibiotics we use more antidepressants than that
1: That is so wild I would not yes. have thought that I know maybe it's because of our You know what? It's probably got a lot to do with our history and the fact that we were created from mass Mm. genocide. (laughs) Look,
0: possibly, possibly. (laughs) Yeah, on one hand it's sort of like, wow, that's so much, but on the other hand, you know, I don't know whether to be happy about it because it's true that it is not a big deal and Mm. that so many of us use them. And, And, you know, in some ways I'm... I'm happy if there are fewer barriers for people exactly. seeking and treatment and medication and it. less stigma. Exactly, And so, mm. you know, I think, you know, there's there's probably some concern to be had there just in terms of I think we could be a lot better at how we prescribe them and how we work out what works for each person and making sure that people have the support they need while mm. they're taking them. But the sheer numbers – yeah, almost make me happy that there's so many people who don't feel yeah prohibited from doing so, from seeking help.
1: And I just wish we could talk more about it, so people are just not making it as big of a deal. Absolutely, and Unafraid to share. Absolutely, um, guys, your therapist that you talk to probably is on antidepressants themselves. Probably, that's fine. Probably. Um, and I like the way that she gets to the me- agreeing to go on the medication, which was very similar to how I felt. It's like, um, you know, I I don't want to like it feels like cheating sometimes Mm, mm, mm. but it's not because like Mm. the therapist said you're doing a lot all by yourself it's it's a bit of extra support Mm. to help you regulate Mm. your feelings and to
0: make all that work more effective as well yeah Yeah. yeah take
1: some of the intensity down so you can focus on what you need to do
0: absolutely I certainly have had the same feeling in my life like I don't think I've ever had a time where I thought like Poorly of somebody else for being on antidepressants, but when it came to myself, I don't take them now, but I have taken them in the past. And before I started taking them, I, my whole life I would have thought, "I'll, I'll never." I would never take antidepressants. Mm, I wouldn't mm. do That's not the answer. Go to therapy. (laughs) Um, And then I got very, very depressed and too depressed to engage in therapy properly. Mm, And my doctor mm -hmm. was like, I think probably you should start antidepressants first. And I was like, I will do anything. Yeah. And so when it comes down to it, you know. (laughs) hopefully for a lot of people or at least for me my experience was that that any you know internalized stigma that I had even though I would have never projected that onto anyone no, else yeah. I definitely had it for myself and that thankfully melted away when the need arose yeah um,
1: we're our own worst critics and absolutely also comes from a bit of mental illness as well absolutely totally. had a very similar experience myself yeah <laughs> should we finish off with I just want to talk about her friendship with with Paula yep, yep. I really love their friendship. I see ourselves in it a little Aww. bit, <laughs> without the um,
0: like breaking laws together. Stuff. Yeah, no breaking laws. <laughs> Perhaps a little less dysfunctional. Yeah. And less a, enmeshed. And a little less like weird mother-daughter vibes. Yes. A lot less. I feel Not like they're pretty equal. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um more sister vibes, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And I think they sort of fulfill a role for each other mm. where Paula was is the secure mum and mm. uh, to Rebecca, and uh, Rebecca is the daughter that she never got to have. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. absolutely, they're very almost they can it can turn into a bit of a toxic dynamic. And you see Paula like she's say is i think in season two like she feels addicted to the or intoxicated Mm. with rebecca's drama and Mm. starts pulling back Mm. and you see rebecca sort of accept it but also see it as rejection as well Mm. and that's when they have some of their biggest fights absolutely um i feel i thought the caveat of it being a musical and very embellished i thought it was pretty accurate yeah, I've been in similar friendships.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm. for sure. I think it's definitely a very relatable kind of situation to, to get into with a friend sometimes when you do become so enmeshed in, in each other's lives mm. and they can be, you know, with certain people, um, very one-sided situations mm. to be in and certainly very frustrating. I I, I wonder if they were real people well, I suppose Paula got a lot out of it too, right? Like I often mm. think like mm. why did she stick around when, you know, <laughs> the reality is and they, they sort of address this in the show that yeah. Rebecca's never asking about Paula's life. No you know, really. She doesn't really get to be the star in their friendship. Mm. Um I don't think this is like our friendship at all, Steph. No, it's not. No, just, just <laughs> the, the love they have for each other. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. The closeness. <laughs> we def- are both the stars. The closeness, definitely. Uh, yeah, they, they talk about that sort of one-sided nature a lot in the show. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I do wonder about how effective that friendship or how long standing that friendship would be in real life. Yes, um, I agree. I don't know. Yeah. we'll never know because they're not real people; they're characters.
1: No, <laughs> but I think they go through their rocky patches, which I think makes them stronger at the end. And you see, again, I think it's the last episode, which I obviously watched like a few hours ago. <laughs> um, uh, Rebecca starts to listen to mm. what Paul is saying, and Paul is like, "Oh yeah, you listen to me. Well done." Mm. And you know, Paul, they're always there for each other mm. in in rough times, regardless of whatever's been happening. Absolutely, so it Absolutely. shows the strength.
0: Yeah, and it's certainly as much as I think. Like, if you were were to add it all up overall, it's it's a little one sided. We do also get to see some of that really nice, like, loving friendship from Rebecca throughout the show, and that mm. you know when Paula needs her, she is there, and she does want to go out of her way to mm. help her and come and look after her kids. And you know whether she's in a position to to be doing that is is one <laughs> thing, um, but certainly the desire is there to to help her friend and support her and show her mm-hmm. a lot of love. And it's really nice. Yeah. And I like that Paula exerts those boundaries. They're
1: eventually sort of accepted for what they are. And it's. I think it's a representation of how sometimes you need to do that with a friend even mm. though you love them so much, mm. you, sometimes for yourself mm. and to stop your own sort of toxic habits mm coming through because she sort of neglected her family for Rebecca. Absolutely. You sometimes need to exert boundaries mm. and, and do them in a way yeah. that serves both of you. Yeah, and
0: yeah. even if, you know, Rebecca sort of pulled back a little bit at first, that that ultimately was much better for their friendship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. More, um, sustainable. Sustainable. Mm.
1: Let's talk about stereotypes in this show and we'll start with what is subverted as a stereotype because I think it does a lot more of that than it does of actually... Yeah, pushing stereotypes. Agreed. Uh, Firstly, I guess the manic pixie dream girl Mm. is basically what crazy ex-girlfriend is trying to subvert. Mm. Like if this person really existed, they're not the dreamy person
0: that Mm. has no backstory that you want them to be. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of the behaviour that we sort of associate with the manic pixie dream girl, like if you actually flesh that person out into a three-dimensional character, Mm. would probably look something like Rebecca. Yes, yes, Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, maybe secondly, um, I think it does a really good job of sub the stereotype that living with a mental illness, particularly mm. something as stigmatised as borderline personality disorder, is always going to be a terrible time, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a horrible, horrible way to live and nothing good will happen and, mm. and that sort of thing. And often when we see depictions in media, as you know, we've seen in some of the shows and the movies that you have talked about, um, they're quite sort of catastrophic and mm-hmm. everything goes wrong and it's all very terrible and there's not much redeemable about the person yeah. at times, yeah. whereas I think the show yeah it does a really good, good job of, it, of subverting that by showing that, you know, with time, with the right support, she's able to develop really healthy relationships. Um, she gains a lot more stability and also even throughout, you know, she has this wonderful creative inner world. She's a loving, wonderful friend. Mm. Um, you know, some of her relationships might be a bit dysfunctional at times partly driven by her own, you know, experiences and her own borderline, also partly driven by issues that her partners are certainly experiencing at the time, which yeah. I think is relatable for a lot of people. Definitely. Um, but ultimately, you know, she is able to to live a, a fulfilling and, and full life. Yeah, yeah, a creative life too mm. by the end of it. Absolutely.
1: And I think just in terms of borderline itself as well, when you go back to movies like Girl Interrupted, mm. It's like, you don't want to be with this girl. She's sexy, but, oh, she's crazy. She's a handful. Yeah, it really smashes the stigma about borderline. There's not really a lot of movies or TV shows that touch on that, apart from it being stay away from this borderline Mm. crazy person.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It also smashes the stereotype around medications, as Mm -hmm. we've already
0: discussed, which I... So love. Mm. Um, Cool. I think it also does a really, really great job of sort of combating the idea that um, if you are living with a mental illness, like all you need is – to find the right partner. If you fall in love, mm-hmm. you get married, you'll have a wonderful life and everything will be better.
1: Just love will cure
0: it. Exactly. Or that, you know, there's a very simple solution. You know, you'll just go on some medication, take an SSRI and you'll be all good. Or you start seeing a therapist and suddenly you're all enlightened and everything is good in life. And your life is just perfect. Yes. Yeah. Um, when it's certainly obviously not as not as simple as that. And that's definitely a trope that we see across mm-hmm. most. <laughs> mm-hmm. most representations, certainly. I think even outside of TV shows and movies that are specifically about mental illness, like that is a trope that is in (laughs) real life. (laughs) Everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, real life for sure yeah definitely yeah. just real people but you know I'm even thinking of one thing I I will always always bring up with this is um the the one the Wonder Woman movie the first one oh, of I the, haven't seen it sorry you yeah, know okay, me so, so I like I wanted to love that movie so much I did you know like mm. a female lead it's wonderful like it'll be great and I'm into superhero movies anyway and then I felt like, spoiler alert, although I won't say anything specific, um, I felt like what it boiled down to was that in order to, like, find her strength she, like, she like fell in love with a human man. Oh, And, fuck and that, and, and that <laughs> answered everything and that's how she found it in herself to overcome whatever the villain was in that particular movie. Well, you
1: might as well tell me the whole plot because I'm not going to watch it now. Okay,
0: well, <laughs> I don't want to because I don't remember because I never watched it again because I was infuriated. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that is a very pervasive trope and mm. I think that they do a really good job of showing the – The realities of the complexity of how you address these sorts of things. Yeah.
1: Because she uses infatuation as a way to be Mm. happy, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of it, and spoiler alert, Mm -hmm. she doesn't get with any of the boys. Yes. She realizes that that's. Not true happiness. Mm. She she can marry either of the three boys. Have a, have a great marriage.
0: Mm.
1: I keep saying three boys. She's not going to be happy at the end of the day. She needs to find something. She needs to find out who she is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a bit harder than mm. just deciding to write some songs. But you know, it takes time, and it did take time in the in the show. It did. Um, but you need to find your own true sort of happiness. That mm. and it's not you're not going to be happy forever. But something that gives you your life meaning and value. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: And I think. Yeah, it really slams that trope. Agreed. Slams the door in the face of the
0: trope. Some relevant um, topical comment on slapping things in the face. <laughs> 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 Inserted <it> here.
1: <laughs> um, t- is there anything that is a bit too tropey and stereotypical?
0: Look, I think it's re- it's really hard to speak to this point with this particular show because, you know, the show is a bit silly and a bit campy and, and, you know, it does like walk that line between are we implying that this is what the reality is of people who are living with mental illness or mm. are we kind of playing things up a little bit for the show and yeah. is that the same thing yeah. and is it problematic? And I'm not sure where I <laughs> land on that, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. but certainly they do have a lot of sort of very outrageous hijinks, um, mm. very extreme decisions that they make, you know, she'll, she'll break into – the boy that she has a crush on's house to delete a message on his phone that she mm. accidentally sent, quite extreme. <laughs>
1: wouldn't we all love to do that?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, if you Just could. out Wouldn't you? <laughs> Gets her best friend to fake a, a break-in at her house so that she has an excuse for him to come over, more yeah. or less. Like quite, you know, mm. um, quite the hijinks they get up to. Yeah,
1: quite extreme situations.
0: Yeah, and perhaps a little um, – a little cartoonish, definitely, mm. mm-hmm. but, you know, it's a fun musical. It's, it's a, a silly show. Yeah. It's a silly show. Yeah. It's a silly, it's a silly show. It, it
1: works because of that reason. Yeah. I think my only big criticism of the depiction mm. and Stereotypical was that flashback that you only mm. see for a very short period of time and maybe it was happening in her mind mm. when they find out who Robert is mm. back to the institution that she was in where um, it's all very grey, the, the colouring is all washed mm. out and she's – looking very sedated and yep. not really present and uh, an orderly who's, like, really gruff says, you know, what's her deal? She just sings all day. Mm. Like, that." I don't think that was a very helpful depiction of no. institutions. No,
0: probably probably accurate for some small minority. It could be. Possibly in America, but I don't think generally representative of modern mental health hospitals no um, and sometimes
1: there's a place to be in a, a mental institution oh
0: absolutely it's an it's like it's a very important part of care for many people yeah. and so yeah not super helpful to depict it in that way no where the staff are sort of almost mocking her yeah. or being very disrespectful being at rude. least yeah yeah
1: but that's all i had really in terms of stereotypes Yeah, there's not much we're
0: trying not to be biased but <laughs> it's just exceptional just
1: like it <laughs> <You> can't <laughs> Well, let's finish up with helpful or harmful and, again, I think we've pretty much said that we think it's really helpful for many, many reasons Mm. so we won't go too much into it but I think essentially we really root for Rebecca at the end of the day. We love her. Mm. Even though she's so complex and and, Mm. um, has lots of flaws, Mm. we still Root for her. We want the best Absolutely. for her. Absolutely.
0: I'm not really a part of, like, the online fan community. But from what I've read and seen, like, I don't think anyone was outraged with the ending of her choosing herself, essentially, no. over the men. I and think I, they would have been if she chose a man. I think so, mm. possibly, which I think really speaks to how much we we are invested in her and her well-being and her story and mm. not, like, you know, getting too obsessive over particularly, particular couples in the, in the show. I'm sure everyone has their favourite, Nathaniel. But. <laughs> <laughs> I think I liked First Greg better, first and Greg I would have gone with good. First Greg. Yeah, yeah. That's anyway. I, and so I think that really speaks to the fact that they really managed to get us on her team, and that that mm. is so helpful for particularly someone with a condition which is so often stigmatized mm. um, and not very well represented in media at all. Absolutely. Um, So something else that is helpful, I suppose it just speaks to, you know, what we've already covered in terms of accuracy, like her journey that she goes through with her diagnosis of initially Mm -hmm. kind of being in denial, coming to terms with it. Coming to terms with what what it means, what her treatment plan is going to look like, that sort of thing. We talked about that kind of roller coaster of emotions relating to her diagnosis being quite relatable and quite accurate. Mm. And I think that that is especially helpful. You know, yeah, all of the yeah. very accurate portrayals of experiences related to borderline and mental health in general are very helpful. But I think mm. that in particular is something that I don't think I've ever seen.
1: No, and I've actually never seen the DSM directly quoted accurately. Yeah, like when true. Dr. Copian goes through all the nine traits, true. they are the nine traits yeah it's it's a far cry from when um we did uh identity and they're like he's a he's a category
0: five um (laughs) dissociative which is not a thing not a thing (laughs) was never a thing (laughs) I don't know what that is doesn't come from any version so
1: yeah it is really helpful for someone to actually see what what that experience is like
0: absolutely and that
1: it's there's so much hope there I like how Mm. at the end we see hope for her. Whereas Mm. a lot of people, if they see I've got a a diagnosis of BPD Mm. or or any personality diagnosis, Mm. the feeling might be hopelessness.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Or doom, which is really not what you see in this, which is great. No, no, indeed. It is also a very diverse cast as we've talked about, which is helpful. Very Um, helpful representation. Very good. Um, Obviously there's some holes there as we would expect. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not no, no main characters with, with disability, for example. No, not many. Um,
1: Can't think of any. And it's kind of when there is some sort of like visual difference, it's seen as a... You know, a bit of a joke. Yeah. 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 So that's not, That's not
0: good. <laughs> that's not ideal, is it? No, it's not good. Um but but general generally better diversity than we generally yeah. would see in a like CW sitcom. That's
1: exactly um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's And LGBTI storylines too of coming out. Absolutely. That is a is a, like a revelation for Daryl, mm. but then not really a revelation for um Valencia? For
0: sure, absolutely. We didn't even get to talk about that. Oh so, God. I mean, we are covering so four much. seasons of a show in, <laughs> in one episode. So there's a lot there that we could talk about. But, yes, certainly that representation is is wonderful as well. Is there any ways it could be harmful, Elise? Dr. Elise? So in terms of ways that it could potentially be harmful, I suppose that – you know, inherent in the fact that it is a musical and it is a bit of like a sitcom. Other than that, it's quite lighthearted. It's very campy. Mm. Um, you know, it could be perceived as sort of making light of some very serious yes things. That's true. Um, I don't think that anyone in this room would think that that is, you know, blanket rule a bad thing. Like mm. not to make light of but to, you know, Have fun with our depictions of of those things and with our understanding of them and our representations of people as Mm. whole human beings who, yes, have parts of themselves that might be quite dark and difficult to deal with, but also have dimension.
1: And it kind of makes it accessible in this format, Mm. which makes it, it's obviously portrayed in a fun way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's
1: kind of like incepting mm. people who like musicals and fun things into totally. also becoming more aware about mental illness. Absolutely.
0: Although it does run the risk of perhaps limiting its audience a little bit because it that is, is true. hard to get people to watch it <laughs> because it is a musical and you describe it to them and they're like, I think I'm
1: okay. <laughs> and, you know, could I'm overthinking it so much. Yeah. Could it presented in a musical format make you think, oh, only people who like musicals will get it yeah. or will have that mental health illness mm. awareness or have that mental illness? Yeah. I hope
0: not. I don't think <laughs> I so. I hope not. I hope not. But it, it does potentially limit its audience. But I don't think that that makes it inherently harmful for me. No. It might, you know, reduce the impact overall, but yeah. I don't think it makes it harmful.
1: But that's putting a lot of pressure on its shoulders to be more accessible than it already Absolutely. is, which is
0: often the case. and To make a perfect show with a diverse cast that covers a range of very important issues in a really fun but serious but accurate way that is appealing to everyone. And look, it make does it a much to ask. as good a job as it can. It does a fantastic <laughs> job. I did um, see a very interesting, um, it was a TikTok, I'll just be honest, <laughs> um, discussing <laughs> this idea of, You know, comparing um, Rachel, (laughs) I'm going to swap between my names, (laughs) Rachel Bloom and her creation of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and the recent, you know, Inside, the special from Bo Burnham. Yes. Because a lot of the time people do think like, oh, it's like a silly, like you're, you're limiting your audience, it's a kind of a thing for girls.
1: Yes. And that
0: sort of thing when I think, you know, Inside is evidence that those kinds of, you know, musical comedy, really relatable, really real issues but also a lot of fun and a bit silly at the same time it's it's almost like the exact same genre of content really exactly yeah and yet insiders had such penetration in society it's so broadly applauded everyone
1: watched it everyone loved it it was and there was no question
0: of oh but it's a musical
1: no 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 one no one was concerned about that that I spoke to no. I spoke to everyone.
0: Yeah, no. And I certainly, like, I do encounter people in my life who are resistant to watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because of the fact that it's a musical. Yes. Who I think simultaneously loved inside, so. Yes. I do, so do you, so do you think it's a, a gender thing? I do think it's a gender thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play the gender card. Play the gender card. <laughs> <laughs> and that I do think it is It is more difficult for, for Rachel and for Rebecca, the character, as a mm-hmm. woman, to, to gain that sort of broad appeal. I think it comes back to that trope of of the the general society, i.e. men, Mm -hmm. deciding that things that girls like are not cool. Yes. And so I think it's done a wonderful job of having such an impact that it has despite fighting against that particular.
1: Exactly. I I totally agree. Mm. I do wonder though because Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like four seasons. It is. They're quite long episodes. Whereas Inside is two hours. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So there's that. But also – It's also not that because, you know, Succession is four seasons with long
0: episodes and everyone raves about it, so it's not the same thing. It's not that much of a show and, like, you don't have to work that hard to convince someone to watch Inside, whereas you do have to work that hard to convince someone to try Crazy ex girl And even then they won't. Yeah, and they won't. Yeah,
1: that's so true and it just speaks to the fact that we still don't have adequate female representation and love for those
0: female-represented shows. Absolutely. And also just respect for things that women like. Like what we like. Mm. They're good. Usually they're good things. And also sometimes they're things that might involve really complex depictions of mental health experiences and emotions and I know that men are afraid of that mm-hmm. but we put it in a
1: nice fun musical for you. So Yeah. So sit down, shut up and watch it. Yeah. Should we think about our final scores? Yes, we'll see what it what it comes out as. Try to be nice and balanced. <laughs> Try to be balanced. Firstly, lived experience. Does it get? This is a great question. Yeah. Actually, do we? Can we? Do we grade it
0: at all? I mean, we have to grade it because otherwise, what will you do with your graphic at the end of the year? I don't know. <laughs> oh,
1: there's there's a there's a shrug shrug shoulders emoji that mm. we use. I don't know. I think we should grade it because. Even though it didn't set out to be about BPD, once it did set out to be about BPD, we can assess them on how well they brought people in with BPD in the show. And I don't think they did.
0: They didn't. But they did talk to psychologists. They did, which is not the same thing but is helpful. And I do think we have to give them some credit for... The fact that you know initially when they were writing the show, Rebecca, uh, Rachel, Rachel was writing <laughs> Re-Bachel. about Rachel was writing about experiences that were true to her life and that were mm-hmm. very personal to her. And sure, ultimately, it ended up with the character receiving a diagnosis that she has not had. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's fair for for us to discount, you know, the lived experience that she does have that's relevant to the experiences in the show before mm-hmm. the diagnosis.
1: I agree. Maybe we give them half a point. Yeah. Are you comfortable with half a um, point? I'm comfortable with half a point. All right. Thanks, Doctor Elise. Accuracy. I think in the context of it being a musical, I'm pretty comfortable with giving it a point because it yeah, nails full, things yeah.
0: more than most shows do. Agreed. It did it did a wonderful job. Um, you know, perhaps accidentally at first, but, but then it doesn't matter. It was,
1: it was some wonderful. some of some of the best things are happy accidents. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh stereotypes. I think this is a hard one too because it is a very uh, over-the-top sort of representation. Mm. I think it smashes so many stereotypes at the same time that I think I'd, I'd like to give it a point. Agreed.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Good, um, good. Yeah. I think it does such a productive job <laughs> of of smashing them <laughs> <laughs> um, that that overcomes any of that. Like, to be honest, we were trying to be balanced. We were trying. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we can give um, audiences enough credit that – you know they can appreciate that something's a little bit campy for a TV show, yeah, and it's not exactly. meant to be taken very literally. It can be both things. It can be both, yeah. things, for sure.
1: And you know, you audience are welcome to tell us your thoughts if you disagree. Absolutely, as
0: well. absolutely.
1: And I think helpful or harmful was pretty clear that it's definitely it's helpful. Very harmful. <laughs> Harmful for my ability to
0: get stuff done because I love watching it all I'm the time. I'm perpetually rewatching it <laughs> yeah. and I'm very sad that it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, although it ended probably appropriately and I'm glad that it didn't go on too long.
1: Yeah. And I love watching the... Special at the end, whether or not on stage. It's just so wonderful. And they're so
0: talented.
1: Um, I really hope she does more stuff. I haven't really heard, mm. apart from her appearing on RuPaul's Drag Race a mm, fair bit, which
0: was exceptional. Yes. She is an exceptional guest judge.
1: Very much so. Mm. She also comes on the um, Drag Her podcast a fair bit to talk about RuPaul. So, um, but other than that, I think she's been busy having a baby. Yeah, she did have a baby. Yeah. Also, I didn't mention this earlier. um, Co writer Adam. Schlesinger sadly passed away of COVID like mm, early in on in the pandemic which is really devastating because he sad. was extremely talented he extremely. co-wrote most songs yeah yeah very sad very yeah. sad well on that sad somber note <laughs> Indeed. and the siren that <laughs> we can hear yes <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, i Steph. had such a good time. i had a lovely time. I'm really honoured to have you here. And please, yeah, if you are interested in Elisa's research, please check it out. <laughs> Follow her on Twitter. She'll tweet you with latest stats on sleep. They won't just be stats.
0: Sometimes it's fun commentary yeah, on and fun commentary. science.
1: And, I don't know. And also just... General. General stuff. Levity. General
0: stuff.
1: Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, don't forget to subscribe uh, to our Patreon if you'd like some bonus content, including potentially some bonus stuff with Dr. Elise. Oh. And give us a rating. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We need more. You do it. We need to bump up that score. Thanks for coming, much appreciated. And we'll we'll bring you out with a rendition. No, I'm joking. Um.
0: <laughs> I was doing a little bit of practice in the car on the way here, thinking like, what if I break out into song accidentally part Do it. Way through? Do I it. cannot. I Come simply on. cannot Come allow on. you to have that. Yes, you file. can. You I practice. Cannot. You practice. I Come was on. practicing for myself. Which okay. one though? I don't know. There's too many to choose from. <laughs> too well, my many. favorite is having a few people over. That's pretty good. It's pretty good because it's just so great. It is excellent. I don't. I can't pick a favorite. I think probably if if you forced me to, it's gonna either be generalized about men mm. or um the end of the movie. Yeah. The life's just life's just a it's series of. Revelations that occur over a period of time. (laughs) It's not some carefully crafted story. It's a mess and we're all going to (laughs) die. And on that note, (laughs) goodbye. (laughs) Bye bye.
1: This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.